there, members of the North American Ice Cream Association and by rights, the ice cream industry in general. Welcome to the Ice Cream Podcast. It's the official podcast of the North American Ice Cream Association where, yes, you know the drill. We are all about ice cream people helping ice cream people. And who do we have uh, helping us today to understand flavor nuances, growing regions, None other than Ted Jones of Jones & Co. Vanilla. How are you, Ted? Great. How are you, Steve? I'm wonderfully well. You're located, we just had a bit of a chit-chat before hitting record. Boise, Idaho is what temperature this morning? It's fairly warm. It's 15 degrees out. So. 15 <laughs> degrees. 15 degrees. I find it ironic that you're pulling this beautiful vanilla from the a uh, certain percentage of equ- around the equatorial area of the earth, and it all comes back to a 15-degree <laughs> frozen tundra. Yep. Ted, tell us a little bit about um, your history. How, how did you uh, – I know your sons are involved in the process as well. How did your family get into the vanilla business? Well, it was kind of just a fluke. Um, I owned a, a restaurant chain in my early 20s, and my dad would come and visit me. Uh, I had gone to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo in California. And um, there was a vanilla manufacturer nearby. And my dad was in the corrugated packaging business. So he ended up making a sales call and uh, selling uh, this particular gentleman um, all of his packaging. Huh. And so I got to know him that way. And I started using his vanilla and flavors and uh, just a uh, just a wonderful man. And then uh, later on, uh, boy, it must have been probably seven, eight years later, um, I happened to just contact him because I had sold my restaurants. And I said, hey, um, would you ever consider uh, having a uh, commission salesman? He said, absolutely. It doesn't cost me a penny until you make a sale. So you bet. So that began, I, I owned a chemical manufacturing company and I just, I just love vanilla and flavors. And I had a lot of contacts um, because being in the restaurant industry, I had some uh, good friends that were uh, bakers mm-hmm. and very well known. And so we would go in together and buy the vanilla together. So when I approached him, I started selling to a lot of the people I knew. Right. And I landed a, a a large bakery distributor and just kind of one thing led to another. And I, I was with him <clears throat> for 23 years. He was a Caltech master's chemist and he had a perfumer's nose. He probably was the greatest flavor chemist in the country at that time. He's since passed away. Um, but just a just a gem of a man. Just I, I can't say enough good things about him. I learned so much from him. Mm-hmm. And just kind of fell in love with vanilla. And then over time, uh, there was a, he, he, he passed away. There was a change in, you know, the structure of the company and, and, and I left and I went on my own and I had been more in industrial sales. So I was selling to big, big bakery distributors, uh, ice cream manufacturers, um, uh, spice companies all over the country. And I had done some traveling and I had met some people growing vanilla. And I thought, you know, there's more to vanilla than just what comes out of Madagascar and Indonesia. And 
I just, over the years, I just met many different people. So I got a, a chance to travel and, and meet some of the growers in, in different countries. And one of the countries in particular was Fiji. And in Fiji, there was a gentleman, um, Andrew McGregor, he's since passed away, but he co-wrote the Vanilla Handbook, which is written by Piero Bianchesi, who had a large operation in Vanuatu. And he was really, and he still is to this day, he's retired and he's in Italy, but he wrote the definitive manual on growing vanilla. It's all in English, but it's a picture book of what not to do and what to do. So it can be used in any country in any language. And it is the most widely used manual. And so we're the sole distributor of that. And we are constantly shipping that all over the world. As I meet people, they want to learn more. We'll get that to people in Cambodia, Vietnam, uh, Kiribati, um, South Sudan, which has been war-torn for generations. And we've got a large teak farmer in South Sudan. And we've hooked, we, we not only got the manual to him, but we um, put him in touch with Piero. So what we're trying, what, what we've ended up doing is we've just met so many farmers from all over the world. And then we have people that are experts in different areas. Piero being one, we have contacts at um, uh, University of Florida Tropical Plant Research Center, which has the most extensive collection of vanilla in the United States. And, and I think probably the world. And they do DNA testing there. So we're, we're constantly working with our farmers to help them get their vanilla analyzed, the DNA, to see really what it is and where it's from. And then we're also helping them with maybe issues they're having. And I can't answer these questions, but I know people who can. Right. And then how to plant and how, how, to, how to cure. And so what's interesting about vanilla, it has absolute, as you know, it has, it, it's like a, it has no flavor whatsoever when it's picked. But it has to be picked when it's completely ripe, because if you don't pick it when it's completely light, uh, ripe, you have some serious issues. And, and, and the flavor components will never develop. And then you could have mold. Uh, even a, a phenomenal cure cannot make great vanilla from inferior vanilla. Anyway, that's a long answer here, but... Well, it kind of leads into, I guess, what I wanted to talk about today was this wide variety. I, I popped by your booth at the show, and I mean, what caught my eye was Australian vanilla. And I was like, I did a double take. What's going on here? Australian vanilla. And then I started to look through the packets and some of the literature you had there. Um, and there was one from the Cook Islands, and I'd spent a little bit of time in the Cook Islands. Uh, as a young man, I actually can speak Rarotongan. Would you believe it? The only person that probably most people know that speaks Rarotongan. Wow. Um, so um, that that's what kind of I, I guess drew me to this conversation. Of you're right. There's the I guess the big four. If you if you kind of want to categorize it, the Madagascars, the Tahitians, the Indonesians, and the Mexicans um, from a vanilla sourcing standpoint. But it sounds like what you've got going here is this process to either help develop these areas, these non-traditional areas of um, vanilla growers 
if you're taking a new area, how long is it going to take from the moment that someone starts to plant to the point where they get beans and kind of are up to the point where they're ready to start curing? Typically, you're looking at about four to five years. Mm. It's a uh, fruit-bearing orchid. It's the only fruit-bearing orchid in the world. And it requires a tremendous amount of labor and care. And um, you really have to pay attention. And then when it flowers, it only flowers one day. And it only flowers, that flowers typically only open for uh, four to maybe six hours. And it must be hand pollinated. So a good uh, pollinator will do maybe a thousand to fifteen hundred flowers per day, Gee. and it's and you don't have a second chance, you know, <laughs> when that when it flowers and then you can't over pollinate it. So um, there's a lot to it because it, it you know you have to have the proper support, you have to have the proper shading, you have to have the proper moisture, you know. Even are you are you on the leeward side or the windward side of an island? There, there's just so many things that you have to take into consideration. Um, I'm not a wine drinker. I have a lot of people tell me that, you know, it's kind of like wine wherever you're growing these grapes and wherever you're processing, there's different flavor profiles. Tell me a little bit about, because I'm assuming that someone who's starting up a new area, as you mentioned, or Australia, wherever that is, they're taking the beans, they're taking the cuttings, they're taking, well, what are they taking in order to kind of start this process? Almost everybody is uh, taking what is called a cutting. That's off an existing vine. Could be in a neighboring country. It could be, um, you know, in, in right in the, in the country itself. And then they're putting that on some sort of a, a, a support structure. Right. Vanilla is not planted in the ground. It works off a host, and it can be a concrete pillar, but generally it's uh, glercidia. could be citrus. It could be cacao, um, and it's intercropped a lot, and it has to have proper shading. So um, that's that's basically how that's done. And when, when you talk about intercropping, which now uh, that I find that fascinating, does the vanilla plant and the beans that come from that plant take off flavor characteristics from the host? That or I, or yeah. can it grow independently on the host and, and still uh, provide those flavor characteristics that are more from that growing region? I've never heard of uh, flavors being transferred from the host. It's hmm. just really that it's intercropped, which means that the farmer now can have a secondary source of income, which is really critical in some of these, um, you know, uh, third world countries. Right. And right. so somebody who's growing citrus, uh, this is an excellent addition. Somebody who's growing cacao, this is an excellent addition. Uh, we've been working with a, um, a group in the South Sudan. They, they have a massive teak operation and they're intercropping it with the teak. Mm. So, and they, they've created some structures around the uh, trees, but the tree, the teak is providing the shading and it's also providing the support. So it's, it just depends on where it is, you know, in the world, but 
what what we found is that even within planifolia, which is the main vanilla variety, I would say 95% of the world's supply or more is planifolia. There is a variety of different flavor characteristics. Now, a lot of those are developed from that unique part of the world, but some of it is a result of, of the curing process. Right. So it's there's kind of two things at play. Well, tell me, tell me a little bit about that because when I was when I had my nose in that bag of Australian vanilla, <laughs> we kind of tend to go back to our roots. You can take the boy out of Australia, but you can't take Australia out of the boy. Um, that you mentioned that there's quite a lot of more caramel notes uh, or, or potential caramel notes in that vanilla, and so I guess that that's that's my question is that what gives Australian vanilla, a caramel note that perhaps you're not getting in Indonesia or Madagascar or Mexico or all of these other regions. What 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 is it that actually provides that flavor structure? That's a million dollar question, and <laughs> right. we don't have the answer yet. Um, I'm currently working with two universities. We're having our all of our vanilla beans uh, chemically tested through either mass spec or um, high-performance li liquid chromatography. And that's in process right now. So we're hoping to have the results the first of the year, which will help maybe explain why certain aromas or flavor characteristics have certain correlations to the peaks in, say, an HPLC analysis. Right. But we don't know that yet. Nobody's ever done this. Once we started importing from a, num a number of countries, it used to be, you know, like you, you mentioned, Mexico, Tahiti, Indonesia, Madagascar, and then you have Uganda, another major uh, player. Well, after that, we, you know, we're bringing in stuff from Fiji, Vanuatu, New Caledonia, uh, Australia. Well, people started thinking, well, how, how do I differentiate these? So we have some customers that have really a, a great, like a what I would call a perfumer's nose. So we would send these the vanilla out to them and say, what are you finding? And then we would take that and we found that they were all, all these people were coming up with the, pretty much the same flavor notes. So we created a grid and a, um, so somebody could easily go and say, instead of, you know, I want a Mexican vanilla. No, I want something with uh, chocolate notes, or I want something uh, earthy, or I want something with uh, caramel notes. And that's what happened with the Australia. The, the caramel notes are just off the chart. And we have a West Papua planifolia that is very heavy chocolate. And then Mauritius, the little island nation in the middle of the Indian Ocean, huge chocolate notes. Hmm. And it's just crazy. So, so that's it's fascinating, actually, because you're right. A lot of times we're kind of driven to the, the growing regions. And we say just kind of out of habit, well, I want a Madagascar, I want a this. But really what, what you want is a, a vanilla extract that's going to provide you some sort of uniqueness in the process. 
know, we talk to a lot of people who are new in the industry a lot and they say, well, I want a proprietary mix. I want a proprietary mix. And often the mix can give you a little bit of, um, you know, uniqueness and flavor profile, but it's really the vanilla and a lot of these other extracts and flavors that are enhancing and giving you these proprietary or unique flavor profiles. And this kind of opens up the world to, um, to the, to the different nuances of flavor that vanilla can give. I'm interested when someone selects a unique a unique flavor or unique origin of vanilla. Are they trying to keep that um, in and of itself? They're not blending? Or are people still taking Australia and Cook Island vanilla and do, and asking for a blend of the two? Well, that's a good question. It really depends on the industry. For instance, we do a lot of work with uh, brewers all over the country and in Canada. And a lot of these guys are young guys. And... Um, they really want something unique and different. So they're not asking typically for Madagascar. What, let me see the flavor notes. And we send out the flavor notes as we update them regularly. And they want a certain flavor characteristic for maybe an imperial stout or a porter. When it comes to chocolate, um, people want to have certain flavor notes. Now, there's people that they just swear by Madagascar. That's kind of the industry standard, right? right? When it comes to the ice cream industry. And I found, you know, because I was selling to major ice cream companies and small boutique ice cream companies for decades that they want consistency. Now, <clears throat> that's good, but there's also people, newer people, people that want to experiment a little bit more where they have their standard vanilla, maybe it's probably Madagascar, maybe a single fold or two fold, but now they want to have something else. They want to have a Tahitian style vanilla or a Pompana vanilla mm. uh, or a Costa Ricensis vanilla. I've got some ice cream manufacturers. Ted, what's what's the latest? What do you have? We've got we we have Guatemala uh Criviana vanilla, little short, just beautiful fragrance and so there's people that yes they have the traditional but they want to have maybe a special vanilla right, you, right. you know something unique yeah and so that's that's i think where we can come in and assist there's there's a real marketing there's a real marketing angle here um right. and I, I love the fact I've, I've spoken to a lot of people about this process of what i would call the test freezer what's in the test freezer and we used to do this. We operated frozen custard stores and we would experiment with different flavors and things. We only had enough facings for three, the vanilla chocolate flavor of the day. But it kind of got out like, well, what's in the test freezer? Well, you know, just between you and me, uh, we're working on a uh, whatever it was. Um, and it does give both the ice cream maker and the customer this kind of Oh, what's kind of uh, off the chart a little bit, or uh, you know, um, uh, everyone wants to kind of tap into that that new profile. And I think some of these, um, in, even when you're saying the names, I have no idea geographically where they're from, but they just sound so incredible. Um, so, in these smaller areas, Ted, what, what's volume like? I, I imagine that you know a massive manufacturer can, can isn't saying or you don't have the ability to provide Cook Island vanilla 
<clears throat> to these massive manufacturers of the world. So yeah. are, are there some limiting factors so far as origins? Oh, absolutely. Like in Australia, our grower there is maybe producing 100 kilos a year. Right. We've got a small grower in the Tuamoto uh, island chain, which is in the South Pacific near the Marquesa Islands and Tahiti. We got two kilos. Right, right. Um, Cook Islands, you know, there's a couple growers there. They're related to one another um, family and they're producing maybe, maybe 50 kilos. My son was in Tonga, uh, spent a month and a half there working with uh, a good sized grower and he had maybe 50 kilos. That was it. So a lot of these places are real small. We've been working with for three years, uh, support and uh, a group out of the Philippines that has 500 hectares. So well over a thousand acres they planted in vanilla. And that should come online in a year or two. You that's know? unheard of, really. It's yeah, very fair to have someone that's got that amount of volume right. or space dedicated to vanilla. Right. So what's interesting is, um, and we work with, there's only, there's about 75, 80 licenses out of Madagascar. Our grower is one of maybe two or three that has a two-year license. Everybody else has one-year licenses. So we have some fabulous Madagascar, but, and we can get, you know, tons of that. But people, a lot of these smaller places, they're just either a single farmer or it's a farmer group. And our goal has been, my, my focus has been, I want to help these people create a market for their vanilla outside their country where they can make quite a bit more money than if they're selling it in country. And so that's where we really come in. We've just tried to focus, other than Madagascar and Uganda, the bigger you know growers, all the rest of the countries, and, and we're getting up, we have about 50 origins. Um, we're buying from primarily very small farmer groups or individuals. And um, this is just another way that they can make some some good money. And we then can turn around and offer something very unique to our customers. Right. And then we're making vanilla extracts ourselves. So we're playing around and, you know, doing things with it too. Yeah. I was going to say, so you answer my question. So how many nations, countries have you got on the shelves? You're saying about 50? Well, there's probably 40 countries, mm -hmm. 50 origins. Right. Seven different species of vanilla and um, some really unique vanillas, you know, species. I mean, we have some out of Brazil. Um, Brazil produces some absolutely incredible vanillas. We, mm -hmm. we get three different species. We get a species called the Chamasonis. The Chamasonis is a, a picture of banana dried. That's how big Chamas, uh, they're monstrous, just huge and out of peru and we have some um pompona vanilla which are gigantic and then we have some out of new caledonia that are plump and big but instead of being eight inches long they're three or four inches but they're the same species but completely different flavor 
And tell me, Ted, are you extra? Are you providing beans? Are you providing extract? Do you, if I'm, if I say, well, I want to cook, I keep going back to the Cook Islands because I spent a year of my life there. Um, can you provide me a, a, an extract from the Cook Islands? Are you extracting there as well? Yes, in fact, we have we have some on the shelf um, <laughs> from Cook Islands. So uh, we don't make much we have some smaller percolators so we can do some small batches for people we have vanilla from hawaii mm. and um which is just beautiful and the cook islands is really one of my favorite vanillas uh it's well let's go on a let's go on a uh a, a visit to the cook islands let's do a yeah. uh, <laughs> let's <laughs> you and i go back to the cook i'll be your interpreter okay uh, perfect not, not that you really need one on rarotonga but the Outer Islands, let's hit the Outer Islands together. Um, Ted, I, I find this fascinating. Um, and again, I, I think that the beauty of coming to um, the Cone Con and a lot of these shows are meeting individuals and companies like yourselves that just, you know, have the knowledge base to really enhance the humble ice cream maker in wherever they are, the US, anywhere around the world, with this knowledge and background of um flavor that can really enhance and grow their business. I mean, where are we finding out more about Ted Jones and his vanilla? Well, we have a website. It's vanillas with an S, vanillasoftheworld.com. That is more of our re retail website. But my, um, you know, my phone and my email, and my email is pretty simple. It's ted at ted. And then the hyphen sign, jones.com. So ted at ted-jones.com. And we'll we'll put the contact details in the show notes. Um, okay. Because uh, I'm assuming uh, that there's going to be a lot of people interested in, hey, can you get me a sample of this, a sample of this? Um, and uh, my concern is when you've got these regions where you've only got a small amount on the shelf, you're not going to sample that whole thing out. I think. You're yeah, going to... that's that. That makes it. We can sample things like we have a house blend, plantifolia house blend, uh, Tahitensis, a Tahitian style, and then we have um, certified organic Madagascar and certified organic Brazil that we can sample. But when we get into things like Cook Islands, um, Vanuatu, some of these very rare things, it, we we can't afford to send samples. You got to put your money where your mouth is. You right. don't get a sample of mac and cheese at Panera Bread. You got to buy the mac and cheese. Right. You don't get a sample of something unique. You got to buy it and test it. That's right. what I said. Right. Um, Ted, great to talk to you. Really appreciate your history and the uh, the breadth of uh, knowledge that you have so far as these kind of uh, really interesting growing regions. We will put uh, again uh, Ted's details, company details in the show notes. Uh, and look, if you like to, uh, if you want to be a little bit like Ted and be on the podcast, you can drop us a line, info at icecreamassociation.org. We'd love to hear from you. And for more information on the podcast, previous episodes, and everything that the North American Ice Cream Association can do for you, go to icecreamassociation.org. Thanks again, Ted. Great to talk. Thank you so much, Steve. We really appreciate the opportunity.